Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Yeah, it's an interesting time. It's a very interesting time. For the very first time, we're having to record the podcast remotely. Yeah, separately, isolated even. It's um, it's, it's a weird one. I'm not used to it, Frank. We used to be able to look in your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, we've made a big deal out of um, the times that we've recorded actually face-to-face, and now the tables have turned. Yeah, Indeed, yes. It's been kind of a strange time, hasn't it? Because what's been our fun hobby that we might do by ourselves or just with a couple of friends, that's all been thrown up in the air, hasn't it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I've had to... A very kind listener and friend... I'm going to say that again the other way around. No, I think that's all right that way around. Yeah, that's all right, friend. Yeah has bought me a copy of Tabletop Simulator. Mm-hmm. So I've been playing a bit of Arkham via that as well. Yeah, it's a, a, a gift from that person, but also maybe a win for him as well if he gets to play with you online, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So we played a game. We did, yeah. Which didn't go so well. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and then I've started playing back through the circle and done as well. It's really good. Yeah, that game we played, it was a reminder to me of if you play standalone scenarios standalone, you get hit by a really mean chaos bag just for your trouble. Just a reminder. I think it must be to incentivize you to play those scenarios as part of campaigns to avoid that like horror of a minus six in the bag and things like that. Yeah, we drew that minus six so many times. Mm. It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're not set up for playing at that level, I guess, it's, you know, you can't go six up on every single test. So it gets really punishing really fast. Yeah, it was mean. So that's it. We're stopping playing together now, aren't we? <laughs> that's it, yes. We had that experience. <laughs> this is why we don't play together. Yeah. Cool. So what are we talking about today, Peter? Well, there was an exciting announcement a few weeks ago mm-hmm. on the live stream um, well, they announced it initially on the the Instagram feed, which was mm, weird because they had yeah. they had a, a date scheduled for this new product announcement, which they then pushed back because of how everything gesture gesture roughly out the window, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of this. And it, it, they the product is was like a, a starter deck, mm. and people weren't quite sure what this meant. Was there new cards? Is there not? But then on the live stream uh, a bit after that, which was the, the kind of the delayed date. They went through in quite a bit of detail what was in these packs. Yeah, I'd say it was probably one of the most generous streams they've done in terms of how much content they shared, how many cards they shared. You know, often when we've seen announcements of investigators or things like that, they've been maybe a little bit coy about what they share or don't share. And this just felt like, ta-da, you yeah. know, pulling open the curtains, let's do this. We've got so much to look at and see and... It felt like a shift in tone from FFG about like, this is what we're doing. No secrets here. Here, you know, we're laying this out in front of you. I mean, it, it could be because these are specifically starter products and they mm. want new players to get excited by them or, or players who play their other games who they want to pull in. Exactly. The first question on my list is, what are they? And they did a really good job, I think, of communicating clearly. By they, I mean Matt and Jeremy and it was Evan as well on the stream, just talking through what these products are. So these are five investigator starter decks. They're a deck of cards that you can buy, 60 cards in the pack, so like a Mythos pack, but it's all player cards. 
They come with an investigator, their signatures, enough cards to make a complete deck for them, and then cards to upgrade them as well. So they're the perfect thing if you want to get into the game, but you aren't sure which packs to buy or how to build into getting into the game. You can go, right, I can join you for a campaign because I've bought one pack and I'm set for all of my upgrades and everything I'll need for an entire campaign. Yeah, exactly, yes. It, it's similar, I guess, to the way the Marvel expansions work, mm-hmm. which is that a hero comes out with a full collection of cards they can use. Those cards can, of course, be used by established players as well, mm-hmm. but it's a very easy way to get involved and have something that's balanced and fun to play. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to smash cut now to you talking about products that you would like when we did our most recent mailbag episode. And I think you exactly said investigator starter decks. So you called it, Peter, in terms of that they could take exactly what they've learned from Marvel and try and put it onto this game. It's just, it it knocks down one of the really big barriers for getting into the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really does. Just being able to say to someone, this, you know, 12 quid pack, whatever it's going to be, you know, that's you set and you're in and you can join us. We'll come on to talk about the investigators soon. That's kind of the theme of the episode, really. Mm. But they all, in my opinion, they all play to a very key strength of the faction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about what that means as we go through them. But what I think it does mean is that the cards that work well in those decks, the cards that they've included in the starter decks, they're going to be applicable to established players as well because they're, they're kind of core faction cards. Mm. Yeah, and it gives you a good base to build from as you go on to if you're a new player and this is the first thing you've bought it'll give you a good platform to build on as you start to buy more cards if that's something you want to do yeah you'll have say your Nathaniel Cho deck and then you'll look at packs and think well how does this work with the cards I already have in Guardian rather than just sort of saying wow there's all these cards and I don't even know where to begin with them it gives you a bit of focus about how you look at cards and how, you know, you get a strong sense of one identity to start with. You mentioned that thing about experienced players versus new players as well. And I think that was one of the the big questions I had about investigator starter decks, which was who will they appeal to and how will they please these two groups of people that I'd say are quite different. You know, an experienced player wants new, strong, powerful cards, wants growth in the game, and a new player wants something straightforward and something that can introduce them to the game and they seem at odds and it seems the way they've handled that is that 80% of the cards in the pack are new cards so if you're a new player you don't know that you just go oh these are all very good cards for my investigator starter but if you're an experienced player there's a host of new cards in there that hopefully even if you don't like the investigator in the starter deck there are so many cards in the pack that it might be worth getting for the rest of your card pool, I suppose. So it's 80%, they said. When yeah, 80%, exactly. So that's 60 cards in the in the pack. So that's 48 or so cards that are new and then 12 cards that aren't. And we're going that most cards are doubles. So like a rough, I mean, it's not exactly accurate, but a rough rule of thumb would be that there are 30 unique cards in the deck of which there are two of each. So that we're talking about maybe six reprints that makes up our 12 cards. So really a 
quite i mean that was definitely a fear of mine i you know will the investigator starter decks have a cool investigator and then mostly cards i already own and i'll think do i really want to buy this pack for a cool investigator but then i'll have all of these duplicates in my collection and this seems to be a really like neat solution to that that the duplicates are fairly minimal so yeah that's that's something i think is really cool just before we go further do you have any reservations about this as a model because I think it's easy to come on a cast like this and, and kind of cheerlead a new exciting thing, but it's worth pausing and thinking about it. The, the it's it's as, as an established player who wants to buy everything, these five packs all dropping at once, it's quite an investment. Mm, yeah. So we're talking, what, 60, 70 quid? And that's on top of a new cycle, which is starting soon as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one issue. The other is availability which has been an issue historically. Mm. I got the feeling these might sell like hotcakes. I've already had several people messaging me saying, oh, you know, I've always wanted to get into Arkham, but I haven't. But I saw this news. Can I start? Yeah. <laughs> and I think I've all have seen other established players saying, oh, I can't wait to buy three of each copy. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, we need we need new players to buy these, but also they need to be available. I don't know. I, they will be restocked. My plan would probably be to buy them over a few months to spread out that cost. Mm-hmm. So maybe along alongside the next cycle, I'll pick up a new starter deck every time I get a Mythos pack as well. Mm. I mean, it's such a flood of new cards that we can't possibly play them all at once anyway. I'm very excited about how many new cards there are, but I think I've become used to the kind of drip of 10 or so new cards a month and a chance to play at least with a couple of them. And that that part of me that likes to play all the cards in my collection is feeling a little bit nervous about the idea that we might get this drop of 300 cards of which 240 are new. And it's like, oh, wow, how do I begin to, you know, try out everything, test them, things like that. I think just to say about availability, I think that's a really good point because the ideal here is that you walk into your local game shop there's three people sitting down to play Arkham and you say oh can I join and there's loads of starter decks on the shelves and to slightly put on our team covenant light hats for a moment that only works if your local game shop has enough stock and is willing to hold that stock for that situation and it only works if your game group meet at the same place and are visible I think and it raises for me like these are unformed thoughts, but larger thoughts around how does community work in Arkham? And certainly recently, all of my planning has been done in private conversations. It's not been about having a a flag in a game shop saying, this is the Arkham corner, we're here every Thursday, come and join us. So yeah, I th- like I think the concept of you walk in and you can just sit down and play is a very appealing one. It doesn't actually tally up that closely with my reality of play so it'll be interesting to see what happens yeah yeah couldn't agree more what would be worse a a new player a new player not being able to play because there's no such thing as an investigator starter deck or a new player going to play and then the shop not having any investigator starter decks (laughs) and they're having to be turned away yeah yeah i don't know hard to judge you know i think it's a wait and see situation isn't it we're Cautious podcast hosts will always keep an eye on those sorts of things. And I'm interested to see what what it's like when it really lands and the quality of the cards. Because certainly what I've seen so far is pretty exciting packs. Should we go into a bit more detail? Yeah, let's do it. 
Where would you like to start? Well, let's start with, traditionally, let's start with The Guardian. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our Guardian, um, for context for the listener, we're not going to go through every card. This isn't a first look. We're not even, I don't think, going to go into the full details and stats of each investigator. But Peter and I have both picked a card from the reveals that we want to talk about. So that's either from the article or from the live announcement. Just because we think it's interesting and we'd like to dive more into what it might say about the faction or that kind of thing. So our guardian is Nathaniel Cho and he's the boxer and he's a warden and a criminal, which is a really cool flavour that he's both warden and criminal. I really like that. Warden is one of my favourite traits. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and that idea that, like to me, it's probably in my head what Skids is a bit like. Skids is just a criminal but he's had that run-in with the law and then he's kind of taking matters into his own hands to fix things. And this is sort of similarly what Nathaniel seems to be like. He's in illegal boxing rings, but now he's taken to the streets and is stopping people and basically taking the law into his own hands. Love it. Hit me with your card, Frank. Yes, no pun I... intended. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be a lot of those... Uh, punchy takes like that. I've picked one, two punch, which is spirit and tactic traded. A lot of the cards we've seen from Nathaniel are spirit and tactic traded. And it's a two cost event. It has a combat icon. It's a fight event. So it's got the bold action designator. Is that what it's called? It says fight in bold. You get plus one combat for this attack. If you succeed, you may fight that enemy again. You get plus two combat and deal plus one damage for that attack. So it's two fights in one for two cost. One gets a small boost, and if you land that, you get a bigger boost and do more damage. So two cost for three damage, but it's two tests. And worth noting about this that Nathaniel's ability is that when he does damage uh, from events or or fights on events, he gets to do an extra damage. So for Nathaniel, this is two cost for four damage. Yeah. all the way through talking about this, it's a shame we don't do a video cast. I've been doing punching. <laughs> I've, <just> yeah. been, <laughs> I've been angling myself in my chair and throwing various punches to try and illustrate how good it is. Uh, I, I don't think it's like a flawless card. I think that comes with some really big risks. You know, you're taking two tests. Yeah. So, you know, and if you fail the first test, you, you've spent two for a, a plus one to fight, which seems kind of galling. Nathaniel does have a five fight, so chances are he lands the hit. Well, this is the other thing. We've actually tested this. So a few of these cards we've tested because they're available on Tabletop Simulator. Mm. So my friend put it in a Tony deck. Okay, cool. Which is another good home for it, I think. Yeah, very good. Another five fight. Yeah, it's a it's a three damage card. And we've talked in the past a bit about the benefit of three damage effects. Mm. Yeah. Because it's just that awkward number to try and kill with other weapons. Yeah. If you're doing anything with ammo and two damage hits, it's it's so frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. Okay, so this is, yeah, this pay two to do three damage. Decent boost. Yeah, if you can land the hits. Yes. Why did you pick this card to talk about, Frank? What was it especially about this card that you liked? I liked it because I think it's flavourful, and I liked it because it's feels like it's landing really well for Nathaniel. And actually what you've said, it then could maybe sneak into other Guardians as well. It's a nice sort of option. You know, one of the ways of doing three damage in Guardians so far is Dynamite Blast. 
or Vicious Blow. And this sort of falls halfway between those two, I'd say. And if you're running Vicious Blow, you can kind of combine it and things like that. I think just more generally what Nathaniel suggests is that space around fighting without weapons that we've known about as a possibility for Guardian, but haven't really explored. And obviously Nathaniel feels like a really good fit for exploring that space. Going back to what you said about three health enemies, one way of dealing with three health enemies is to punch them once and then shoot them with one ammo. I've ended up doing that a fair amount as Tony. And this maybe sort of leans into that space of if you're going to punch them, why not pay two and a card and turn all of that into sort of one action-ish, which is kind of cool. So yeah, that's my thoughts. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. And like you said, I think it is very flavorful. Yeah, I mean, I think all the cards we've seen, pretty much for all the investigators, really were nailing it in terms of that intense, rich feel about the investigator. So yeah, what card did you choose? Well, the one that jumped out to me, and I, I'm not sure if everyone else felt the same, but just really jumped out to me is something I, I would love to put in a deck, is Lesson Learned, mm-hmm. which is one of the upgrade cards that are included in the decks. This is a one-cost event. It... Uh, has uh, willpower, two intellect pips, mm. and has the insight and spirit traits, uh, which is interesting itself in itself because that means Calvin can take them. Yes, there's quite a few of these cards have spirit traits. Yeah, yeah, spirit seems to be the like it's turning into the trait for tough guys who are willing to go toe to toe with enemies. Right? It's about you know these spirit events seem to be about standing up to the mythos or yes. resistance. Yeah. So this has fast play after you take damage from an enemy attack. Discover two clues at your location. Wow. Okay. So it's like the inverse of a of a scene of the crime. Yeah. Yeah. Except it's it's fast, and it only costs one. Yeah, scene of the crime is one of the few events that, if you were to play it, you wouldn't be able to trigger the attack to trigger lesson learned, which works out well in a way. Otherwise, you could get four clues for an action. I think the reason I really like this is that it something we've talked a lot about as we've kind of over the years is how you can turn your indestructibility as a guardian, your your vast reserves of health and, and willpower, how you can turn that into tempo which help you win the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is a great example of that. You know, you take an attack of opportunity or whatever, or, or you know, you, a hunter moves in and hits you and you turn that into clues. Yeah. So someone like Yorick, for instance, who just keeps on recycling those Soka sets, or Tommy, yeah. does the same thing. They've got an incentive now to, to play. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's free money for them. So it builds in exactly to what they want to be doing anyway. Yeah, it really does. It's making me think of, I've seen a couple of people recently saying, oh, playing Guardian is very boring because I get set up and then an enemy turns up and I kill it immediately and then I've got this long downtime until like another enemy arrives and then I kill that one immediately. And maybe there's a different way of playing Guardian emerging, which is that you don't kill enemies immediately. You use an enemy arriving to give you clues, to you know soak damage, which if you're Tommy becomes resources or ammo for Becky. It's not about whack-a-mole, where as soon as the mole appears, you kill it. There's actually a bit more of an interaction going on with enemies. We've seen a similar thing, I guess, with Roland, maybe trying to position an enemy so that when he kills it, he gets a clue in the right place. And this just incentivizes dragging enemies around, doesn't it? That you 
move, get two clues from the location where you take the attack of opportunity and end up somewhere else and then kill the enemy or whatever it is. Yeah, I like it. It feels like shouts out tempo to me, I suppose. Yes, exactly. Me too. Yeah, it's nice. And Nathaniel has two intellect. So if you're thinking about buying Nathaniel's deck and then going solo, you've got to hope that there's something in that starter to help you with clues. This feels like a really generous option. Should we move on? Yeah, let's. Uh, is it Seekers next? Why not? Our Seeker is Harvey Walters. He is the professor. He similarly looks very seekery, and his <laughs> ability is about drawing cards. So when an investigator during the investigation phase draws a card, they get to draw an extra card. He's got the same stats as Norman with a combat and agility swapped. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Harvey Walters was often one of my favourites to play when I used to play Arkham Horror 2nd Edition. Mm -hmm. What was he good at in 2nd Edition? Can you remember? Uh, When he suffered sanity loss, he suffered one less sanity loss. Okay, yeah. That that seems to accord with his storyline where he's become this source of knowledge on the occult and he seems to be willing to learn about things that have scared other people off. So there's a certain element of like fearlessness to him. I think it even says on his flavour that he's the most knowledgeable, sane person about the occult. So this idea that learning these things would have driven other people mad with that knowledge, but he's managed to stay mentally sound. (laughs) Cool idea. So uh, any particular card you've you've drawn, you've chosen? Drawn? Drawn. (laughs) (laughs) That's the wrong word, yeah. Well, I, I went with Cryptic Writings, which is one of the upgrade cards. It is. It costs zero to play, and it costs two XP to add to your deck. Mm-hmm. It has an intellect and a wild icon, and has the insight, insight trait, as every Seeker event does. And it says, gain three resources. Apart from eidetic memory. <laughs> exactly, yes. G- yeah. Gain three resources, four resources instead if you have ten or more other cards in hand, uh, and a reaction. After you draw cryptic writings during your turn, play it. These are few as compared with those in the languages I cannot understand. H.P. Lovecraft, the statement of Randolph Carter. That lad, okay. So zero-cost event that gets you three resources. Sounds familiar. Yes. It gets you four resources, but there's a specific condition, which is that you have to have ten other cards. So this needs to be card 11 in your hand. Yes. Kind of, kind of bananas. Unlike Emergency Cash, it does have two icons, which is nice. Yes. Select in the wild. But then it has this amazing kicker reaction. If it comes into your hand during your turn, it just gets played like actionlessly, which sure. is bananas. <laughs> really good, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so why did you choose this card? Just, I just think it's cool. <laughs> I like yeah. the big hand style. I've been playing a big hand bandy, big handy. Mm. And it's just great. Just having all, all of your deck in your hand mm-hmm. feels really good. And you can... It, it, in a way, it almost feels like those research cards. So if you hit yeah. this with an old book of law or with Rook, you draw it and play it together. And it, with the old book of law, it takes the sting out of having to use the action to use the old book of law, which mm-hmm. is that the research cards were nice for that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, of course, in Daisy or with Rook, that's a free action to draw a card. So cryptic writings is just, boom, played straight away. Search through nine cards in your deck... You know, find this, find a research card, and that's, Mm. well, if you've got Astounding Revelation, 
that's what maybe five or six resources for no actions yeah. <laughs> started to get silly at that point right and i think it, it also at the very basic level it works as well as an emergency cash yeah so you, you might yeah, have paid, yeah. you might have paid two experience to put it in your deck but you can just play it with an action and gain three resources mm-hmm. the tension for this card will be around how often do you wait to build up to 10 cards so that you can get four resources? How often do you mulligan this card so that you can then draw it later to get it as a free action? And I think there'll probably be occasions where it's like, I just need resources to start the scenario. If I've got this in hand in my opening hand, I'm just going to play it. And it operates as a cash, but so be it. It's nice that it has that as an option. If it was, you can only play it if you have 10 or more cards in hand, I think it would really (laughs) drop in power. Yeah. I feel like this card is also just a little bit of a, a challenge to players. It's saying, you know, that this is exactly what we've seen with Dream Enhancing Serum. It's like, how big can your hand go? Go for it. And Harvey seems to be really about that, where we've seen a lot of cards around hand size and just saying, like laying down the gauntlet to players and saying, go big or go home. No yeah. pun intended. I mean, I, I get, ultimately, one of the reasons I really like it is that it's it's got a good base level of effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not worth the two XP, but is worth the slot in your deck, and it only gets better from that point. Yes, yeah. Have, having played a bit of big hand, I wouldn't be surprised if I could always hit that ten cards in hand. Yeah, just because, particularly in Mandy, but it might be the same in Harvey. Filling your hand just becomes really straightforward. And for those people listening going, what, but you'd be over your hand side, it's crazy. The Dream Enhancing Serum only counts the first copy of each card as towards your hand size when checking hand size. So you can have 9, 10, 11 cards in hand, but they only be 7 cards in total because there are duplicates. Works really well with Myriad. So speaking of hand size, I've chosen Arcane Enlightenment to talk about. This is an asset. It takes up the Arcane slot. And it's ritual traded. It costs two. It has no XP. It's a level zero card. And it has two willpower icons on it. It reads, your maximum hand size is increased by one. And you have one additional hand slot, which can only be used to hold a tome asset. An augmented mind can memorize entire volumes of books. I like this card because I feel like it's slightly sneaking under the radar as just a very useful card giving you two quite nice boosts just combined. Well, not boosts, but extra abilities combined in a simple two-cost card. Yeah, I like the extra hand size. I think if you're playing with any kind of big hand play, just making sure that you've got that extra bit of hand size is really useful. And then an additional hand slot for tomes seems really good. You know, that means if you want to be having a magnifying glass out and a camera, but you actually also want to run the occult lexicon or the old book of law, you can do that. You know, you can just sort of fit everything together. I would say it's probably a common third item, third hand item as a tome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've even made the decision before as a seeker not to take some other kind of utility hand items like a magnifying glass or a camera because I'm thinking, well... I really want the lexicon in one hand. And, you know, I think in my uh, Otherworld Codex deck, I did never wanted to have the Codex and not be able to play it. So I ended up cutting some of those really useful hand items just so that I had space. Oh, yeah, I should throw in their fingerprint kit, of course. Yeah. Uh, and the Dream Diary now also takes up a hand slot. So there's a lot of like, competition for the hand slot in Seeker now. 
I think the thing that that really makes this card pop to me is the double willpower icons. Mm, yeah, I, I'd I'd be happy to play one, but you know I'd want to see it quite early. But I wouldn't yeah. necessarily want to play the second one. But having those double willpower icons feels really really useful, especially in someone like Mandy or Daisy mm-hmm. who have yeah. an okay willpower. Yeah, but yeah, don't necessarily want to pack their deck. I mean, maybe if you're Daisy, you do if you're casting more spells. But having a, having extra guts in your deck, which can also be used, I think it's it's a really nice Daisy card. Mm. Mm. You know, her. It's hard to plan around her getting in her signature asset, particularly reliably. Yeah, her tote bag. But mm. with this, you just got that extra shot of doing it. I think it's really useful. Yeah, it just sort of rounds out then the safety around that slot that you get that down. I can see there being some competition in Daisy around the arcane slot. So I was True. also thinking about how other seekers really aren't using their arcane slot, like Min, Ursula, Rex. They might want the extra hand size and maybe the utility around another hand slot. So I can also see this kind of sneaking in to, to other seekers just because... They think, well, my arcane slot's not very important, and I like the extra hand size and maybe the additional hand slot. So yeah, it's kind of cool. So yeah, that's that's Harvey. I think we've both been really enjoying that big hand style, and it feels like he's just taking that and turning it up to 11. I'm really looking forward to seeing more of the things in his deck. Just for, you know, Will it have the dream-enhancing serum? That's the big question for me in that starter deck. Yeah. Quite, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's next? Well, next we have Winifred uh, Habermock. We tell, as her parents know her, Winnie to her friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, good knowledge. I've got the card open so I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figured. She's got a very roguish stat line, which is mm. one willpower, three intellect and combat, and then five agility. Mm. Yeah. And her reaction is... If two different non-weakness cards you control are committed to this skill test, draw one card. Limit once per test, uh, which is really good. So she's throwing in cards into tests all the time. Her elder sign also gives us a little bit of an idea of where she might go, which is after this test ends, for every two points you succeed by, return a card you committed to this test to your hand. Okay. So she's like the show-off character. She really, really wants to to succeed at those tests well. And yes. luckily in Rogue, that's a that's a theme which is reflected through a lot of the cards already available, skill cards in particular. Yeah. So straight away coming to mind is watch this, double or nothing, quick thinking, opportunist, daredevil, momentum, you know, all of these different cards all in. You're throwing them in and they care about how much you succeed by to get some kind of effects. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And we've long said they work best in combination. And if you can get two or three into a test, they're all adding boosts. They're normally one wild icon, maybe something different. But it's only when they start combining, so you're giving yourself a plus three or a plus four, that then all the effects can start triggering. And it seems like Winnie is just saying, yeah, do that. Commit two, get another card for your trouble. The difficulty is keeping the cards flowing into your hand to (laughs) do that. And this is where her ability really comes into its own. Yes. One of the yeah. cards I think is really good for her would be Opportunist Level 2. In fact, maybe even Opportunist Level 1. Yeah. Because so that's a card that counts one towards your the two cards you've committed to a test. Mm-hmm. So you, you're effectively you're at, 
your hand isn't decreasing in size every time you do it, right? So you're drawing yes. a new card, hopefully another skill card, and then you're committing two cards to the next test. Mm. You know, opportunist yeah. comes back, then you draw another card. Yeah, yeah. If one of your, like, adding, if if her ability basically just reads to opportunist, when you commit this card, draw a card, and then it keeps its ability of getting it back, that starts to be amazing. That's the like the one card that keeps fueling it. Because you just, whatever card you draw, you throw in as well. And then <laughs> Opportunist comes back and has drawn you another card. And yeah, it's brilliant. Really cool. So yeah, she seems really exciting. Succeed by X has been a thing for a while. Definitely this cycle with Tony, we've seen succeeding by a lot around combat. And it's cool to see her high agility. And it'll be really interesting to see how Winnie cards can then be used by Skids and Finn or Seth. Because they all have high agility as well. I think probably the card you've chosen we should look at first. Okay. I was I was just getting ready to read yours out, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> so the one I picked is uh, Nimble, which is a skill card, which seemed appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has a single agility icon. Mm. Innate. For each point this skill test succeeds by, after it resolves, you, you may immediately move to a connecting location to a maximum of three times. Nice. So yeah, this you you know you succeed a skill test and then you shoot off across the across the map. Feels quite like you know there's some cards like think on your feet or or the way Rita works mm-hmm. that combine evasion and movement. Yeah, and I think that's there's quite a good combination of effects because you can evade an enemy and then move away from it, which you mm-hmm. can do with this. But you can also just move yeah. around the map if like a treachery test on agility comes up, or even. Not in um, Winnie, but in other decks, you could combine it with like the track shoes. Mm. Say yeah. in, in Wendy. Oh, <laughs> that is disgusting, right? Move once, get a free track shoes move, pass the test by a reasonable amount and keep going. Yeah. Yeah, that's really nice. The art is beautiful. It seems so positive. Someone running up a hill and she's in... They look like sort of cricketers. They're all dressed in white. Yeah, I was trying to work out what was going on there. It's hard to tell, but I don't know whether she was smiling or not in the in the in the front picture. It's like a sort of summer jaunt. Yeah, yeah. I hope it's not two racists chasing her. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was just worried it might be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So this is really nice. It doesn't care how much you succeed by, or rather, the more you succeed by, the better it gets. That could be a really nice way to explore succeed by X as well. That it's not all about hitting that two above. It could be just about you know, different amounts getting you more or, or fewer things, depending on, on what you do. Which card have you picked, Frank? Yes, yeah, so I've picked the Mauser C96. And the reason I've chosen this card is because we saw a couple of weapons in the announcements and in the article. And I just wanted to touch on them as an interesting other separate realm for Rogue to explore. So this is a four-cost asset. It also has an agility icon. It's item, weapon, firearm, and illicit traded. It uses five ammo, so four-cost five ammo, kind of cool. Action, exhaust Mauser C96 and spend one ammo. Fight, you get plus one combat and deal plus one damage for this attack. If you succeed by two or more, either ready Mauser C96 or gain one resource. Takes up a hand slot. This is interesting. <laughs> yeah, capital I, interesting. So the theme we're seeing with the Mauser and then also with some of the other weapons we've seen is that the weapons exhaust to use. So they have a very favorable cost to ammo ratio, but they're one use per turn. 
And then how that is worked around is that if you succeed by a certain amount, you can get to ready the weapon or do another thing. There's this like slight sort of brain burner around, is it a two health enemy? Maybe you're just going to gain a resource, then you'll just shoot with the Mauser. If you're fighting any enemy that's more health than two, you're going to hope to succeed at least one of the tests by a couple so that you can ready the Mauser and shoot again. Yeah. So on the surface of this, I, I do think it's a, it's a fun Winnie card, or, or the two cards are fun Winnie cards, depending mm-hmm. on how you're building Winnie. But for me, this it's got a, a modest combat boost compared mm-hmm. to other rogue weapons. Yeah. It doesn't have conditional damage, which makes it more favorably... I mean, it's interesting to compare it directly to the 45. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost exactly the same as the 45, except it gets the one, one extra ammo, mm-hmm. which is great but it does exhaust when you use it, which yeah. may be fine for a Guardian to use. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I can almost see this card fitting in well in a, in a higher fight Guardian. Someone yeah. like Leo. Yep. Or maybe, I, I, I was going to say Tony, but I mean, Tony does have his guns he likes to use. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to hit that succeed by two. Yeah, I think- that you can combine this with Tony's long colt as well. You know, you only want to use the long colt for the final kill. So you could be using a weapon that's giving you reliable damage and a reliable boost, but you can only use it once a turn, in theory. Yeah. And then the long colt to finish off enemies. Yeah. I mean, you could do something like in Leo, those extra resources go towards playing Aventura. Yeah. And then keeps this this stocked up. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of have this weird cycle of getting resources, paying venture, which gives you ammo, which gets you resources. Yeah. If you if you succeed by two on all five attacks and just take resources each time, you've you've gained a resource out of it as well. You've paid it paid it back. And I think even if I wasn't going to try and get five resources out of it, the idea that really the cost of this weapon is say two or three because I'm getting at least a couple of resources or one or two resources back, that starts to feel really appealing as well that yeah. this is actually very competitive compared to the 45 automatic i think it's a nice a nice space and exactly as you say succeed by two for combat might not be winnie's thing she might be throwing in loads of cards but it might be tony's thing maybe skids's thing or definitely maybe leo's thing yeah yeah agreed okay who's next frank Next is our mystic. It's Jacqueline Fine. So cool. Finally. 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 Exactly. And once I realized it was Jacqueline and was watching the announcement and was seeing how all of these investigators are monoclass, they have access to their faction zero to five and neutral zero to five and that's it. Part of me thought, oh, wow, that's kind of a shame. Jacqueline doesn't have a really wacky deck building. And then part of me thought, this is perfect. She can be pure purple. She's going to get a bunch of new, exciting purple cards. She's probably going to offer a whole new way of riffing on Mystic cards, and that will be amazing. And I'm pretty sure they've delivered, although obviously I've not played with anything yet. We both picked the same card we wanted to talk about. And also then suggested a separate, different card each. So where do you want to begin with this? <laughs> well, can we talk about her ability just very briefly? Because I'm oh, yeah, really excited absolutely. about it. Yeah. So she has, I'll do a stat. She has five willpower, three intellect, two combat, two agility. So she's mm-hmm. absolutely mentally focused and also with a five willpower, which quite a few mm-hmm. mystics have, but is just like the icing on the cake. 
We can now, just by the way, make a team of all five willpower mystics. Akachi, Agnes, Jacqueline, and Dexter. Nice. <laughs> She's a clairvoyant, and she has a reaction ability. When an investigator at your location would reveal any number of chaos tokens, reveal two additional tokens. Of the reveal tokens, choose and cancel two non-tentacle tokens, or one tentacle token. Limit once per round. Elder sign effect, plus one. If this effect is cancelled or ignored, draw one card. So, essentially, she, she's got Olive McBride's ability. Mm-hmm. So, on a standard test where you're drawing a single token, you draw three tokens, and then you either cancel two non-tentacle tokens or one tentacle token. Particularly that or one tentacle token is the classic Olive McBride. You draw three tokens, you have to resolve two of them, and so you're just using Olive to avoid having to resolve the tentacle. Yes. And you're high enough up on the test that it doesn't matter what the other ones are. A minus one and a minus two, it's still fine. Or, you know, a skull and a minus three, you're still fine, whatever it is. So to an extent, Jacqueline is the real way we can build this mystic who loves to manipulate the bag and play those mm-hmm. cards like Ritual Candles. Ritual Candles yeah. feels really good in her. And yeah. the Black Cat, we talked about a little while ago as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we've talked about the Black Cat on air together. Oh, have we not? We've talked a lot about the Black Cat. Yeah, we've talked about Yeah, I don't think we have yet. She's got that same level of excitement to me as Jim Mm -hmm. does, you know, just just figure out how to to play tunes on the cards, on the tokens that you draw. Mm. And the, the problem with building that deck previously was that you really needed Olive to kind of get going. Yeah. And obviously that means you have to find Olive, and she uses an ally slot. Mm. Yeah, and this she, Jacqueline just starts like that. Yeah, there's a further problem, I'd say, with that, which is that in solo, that style could leave you really high and dry if you were unlucky with the tokens you pulled. And to have, to have it baked in for Jacqueline already feels like... I already feel like that's going to be really useful solo just to mitigate some of those times where you really know you can't fail. Like, I've got to pass this test one way or another. I'm going to draw three tokens. And then, you know, because let's not forget, it's draw three tokens and cancel two. It's not Olive, draw three tokens and cancel one, which is really powerful powerful as well. Like, if you're just like, I'll only be able to pass on a zero or better, you get three bites at the Chaos Bag rather than one to hit that zero. Amazing. She seems really cool. I love that her ability also works for other people because Olive only works for the person who's played it. Yes. So in those clutch moments, Jacqueline could say, I'm not using the ability for me. I'm using it for the big attack or for the rogue trying to land a succeed by X move. Absolutely, yeah. And you can can even, as a rogue, you could uh, calculate how much the, the two worst tokens would be aside from the tentacle token. Mm-hmm. And then put in that many resources to make sure you pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, it's like she can predict the future. Weird sense. that, isn't it? Yeah, so very good. To keep on that theme, this is the Crystal Pendulum, mm-hmm. and it is a two-cost accessory. It has a, a single willpower icon, mm-hmm. and it has the item and charm traits. You get plus one willpower. Reaction, Ooh. after a skill test at your location begins... Exhaust Crystal Pendulum, name a number. If this test succeeds by that number or fails by that number, draw one card. Mm, Okay, weird, but yes. So you could say one, 
and then you want to succeed by one or fail by one. And then yes. if you use Jacqueline's ability, you could pick the token that makes sure that that lands, hopefully. Yes, or you could say zero. I think zero, one, and two would probably be the mm-hmm. the, the common ones. Yes, yeah. But it's, it's two cost and uses the accessory slot and gives you plus one willpower. So it's yeah. very easy to compare to the Holy Rosary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think probably better, um, although it does obviously it does have the horror soak on it. Lots of our mystics either pack horror healing or have a high uh, sanity value. I mean, Jacqueline's got nine sanity. Yeah, she probably doesn't need Holy Rosary. Yes, and I think a lot of other um, mystics might be in that position as well. So it's it's an interesting one. It's 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 fun because you're sort of trying to predict the future again. Works mm. well with her ability, and I also think this works well in some of the other mystics as well. Especially Jim. Jim was actually what first jumped to mind to me. Is mm. this? He he wants the willpower boost for for a start yeah. that takes him up to five, but also, as we all know, Jim's got a lot more zeros in the bag than any, any of the other players. Yes, yeah. So if you're one up on a test, you can name one up and chances are you're pulling a skull or a zero and you're right. Yeah. Or you could hedge your bets and think, right, well, the bag is skewing towards only minus one on average. So that's going to leave my score at two above this test. I'm going to name two up. Yeah. And then you you sit this alongside Recall the Future. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're on the value of a test, you say zero. And then you name those minus twos, and they also become zeros as well. So, yeah, yeah. The other card really that it's reminding chance. me of, strangely enough, is the lucky cigarette case. Yeah. Again, it's an accessory that sits there that just slowly draws you cards throughout the game. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting. Then we've got the lucky cigarette case, which is a reward succeed by two mm-hmm. with a card draw. We've got the crystal pendulum, which rewards bag manipulation, and we've got. The Lucky Rabbit's Foot. Which rewards failure. Yeah. So yeah. I wonder whether we're going to see a, a Guardian and a, um, a Seeker asset, which lets you draw cards. Mm. For Seeker, there's the Tooth of Edsley. That's an accessory. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Boosts you for treacheries and keeps you going. Guardian, yeah, that would be an interesting one. It, it reminds me a little bit of the Duel of Areolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except obviously it's got the stat boost built in. I was thinking, well, yeah. you'd never just not upgrade this to the Duel. But you do lose the stat boost then. Yes, yeah. You lose the stat boost. Dual, obviously, more flexibility, but you're you're needing to hit specific tokens as well, which I suppose Jacqueline can do better than most. But yeah. Okay, so a fascinating little card, I think. So I have chosen the Robes of Endless Night. This is a two-cost asset that's two XP. We've also seen in the card fan that there's a level zero version, but we can't fully see what the level zero version does. We just know that it's three cost. Uh, This has willpower and agility icons. It's item and clothing traded. It also can soak two health and takes up the body slot. And it has a reaction when you play a spell card, exhaust robes of endless night, reduce the cost of that card by one. Playing that card does not provoke attacks of opportunity. Dark is the abyss without. Bright is the abyss within. The art is completely baller. Yeah, yeah. Why have you picked this, Frank? I picked this because I think this card is insane. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's nice to see something in the body slot for Mystics, first of all. Yeah. And this card feels like an Uncaged the Soul 
on tap, kind of gentle, uncage the soul, and the fact that it turns a bunch of cards into not provoking attacks of opportunity, yes. to me, just fills my mind with glee. The first place I went with this was the new spell event suite, Spectral Razor, Ethereal Form, and Read the Signs. Imagine if you just desperately need to get two clues on your location. You can play Read the Signs, tap Robes of Ents Knight, not get hit for doing it, and the spell only costs one to do that. Yeah, yeah. Kind of mad. No, it, yeah, that's amazing, yeah. And then the other, I think, the, the more obvious and the kind of classic challenging thing that one might want to do with this is that you have Shriveling in hand, you haven't had a chance to play it yet, and then you draw an enemy... And you're like, okay, I'm just going to take a hit to play Shriveling and kill this enemy. And the rogue says, no, you're not. And Shriveling's only going to cost you two. Yeah. Which is lovely. It's a fantastic investment early on in the game for any mystic. Yeah. And it, for me, it's also a, then a question of tempo, where it's, it reminds me a little bit of sleight of hand. Once you have sleight of hand and a weapon in hand as a rogue, you don't spend actions playing that weapon because you know you have some kind of protection for enemy management. Yeah. You could do a similar thing with the robes as a mystic where you have a shriveling in hand and you know that you've got a way of getting it down when you need it rather than committing actions and resources earlier on to play it. And then when you get to play it, you get a discount. What's not to love? The place I jumped to instantly for this was Patrice. Okay, yeah, tell me because, about that. Well, it, it's, as people will know, that one of the difficult things with Patrice is any kind of long-term planning, <laughs> yeah. any kind of long-term planning, it's hard to control like the flow of econ you've got. You've got a few cards like, say, Renfield you might want to run, also her violin, that give you resources like drip economy. Mm -hmm. But it's often hard to have when you draw the emergency cash to be in a position where you can say, ah, I want to play that this turn. Yeah. Or you have to, you know, maneuver some stuff around to play it. And similarly, it's sometimes you get the spell when you need the spell, like there's an enemy with you and you draw the shriveling that turn or something like that. Mm, yeah. Or, you know, you draw something, you know, the right of seeking that you want to play when there's an enemy yeah. with you. So I think it, it, it sort of helps on those two angles. It, it, gives her some more kind of econ on tap. Yeah. And it allows you to play spells when you you know you can't necessarily control when you're going to play them as Patrice. I mean with the robes and a violin, that's effectively two cost off a spell. So, you know, if even if you draw a draw right of seeking, you could do resource resource, play right of seeking using this and um, a violin from zero mm -hmm. money. That's very good. Very good. Yeah. It incentivizes you playing more spells and it rewards you for doing that by reducing the cost of all of them. Like, <laughs> this to me is a no-brainer for how nice it is. Yeah. It's just, yeah, really nice combination. So I think that's really cool. I think a way of helping, you know, I don't think this necessarily replaces Uncaged the Soul. I think there's use there as well, but it's just a really nice other way of economy in Mystic that, yeah, seems to have a lot of utility and will help out lots of different mystics in different ways. Can we touch somewhat radically on the new spell suite as well for mystics, just because we saw a hint of them? Yes, please do, yeah. So uh, the one I'm going to mention is Azure Flame. We've also seen Clairvoyance, and the third one I want to say is called... Hmm, Ineffable Truth, that's right. 
So we've seen an upgraded version of Ineffable Truth and we've seen the level zero versions of Azure Flame and Clairvoyance. Their uh, picture, Shriveling, Right of Seeking and Mists, they do fight, evade and investigate. They use willpower instead of the chosen stat and they have some kind of boost. So I think there's a damage dealing for the evasion, extra damage for Azure Flame, which is the fighting one, and extra clues for Clairvoyance. But the important thing is they all have this clause if an Elder Sign plus one or zero token is revealed during this attack, take a damage or a horror or I think discard a card. No, lose a resource is the other one. So they punish you for revealing good tokens. They don't care about special tokens like Skulls and Cultists. I think it's a really cool way of shaking up how the spells work. Yeah, yeah, I agree, it, yeah. It particularly gets me excited, as you mentioned, about Jim that if you're actually actively pursuing the special tokens, you don't want to be seeing a plus one or an, a zero. You want to be seeing a skull or a cultist or things like that. And we already saw a hint of that with Wither and... Wow, what's the... Um, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense, yeah, sorry. We Yeah, we already saw a hint of that with Wither and Sixth Sense where you actively want to see bad tokens. And then this is just a step further down that lane of where you also actively don't want to see what are normally considered good tokens. So I think it's a really nice element to add to the mix in terms of what you're planning to do. In Jacqueline, if you see the Elder Sign and a couple of other tokens, you can cancel the Elder Sign so that you don't get the negative effect from these spells, and you get to draw a card for cancelling the Elder Sign. Super cool. And just, I like them as a competitive response to Shriveling Mists and right of seeking i thought they were worth mentioning yes absolutely yeah so we're on to our final investigator here it's worth noting that all of the investigators so far nathaniel harvey winnie and jacqueline have one extra health or sanity point they have 15 points rather than 14 which is the norm and stella has eight health and eight sanity so she has 16 so she's got more than anyone else we've seen so far which kind of bonkers yeah i think there's probably a quite good reason for it do you want to talk us through stella quickly yeah absolutely yeah so she's the letter carrier she has an enormous flat set of stats she's got three willpower two intellect three combat and four agility so mm, loses yeah. an intellect and adds it to agility and she has the chosen and civic traits i feel like they're both new traits i could be wrong yeah is what what does calvin have is he cursed Yes, I think. And Drifter. Right. Civic seems like it's a public job because she's, mm, she's a, yeah. a, a postal worker, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so her reaction ability is after you fail a skill test, you may take an additional action during your turn this round. Limit once per round. Mm-hmm. And her Elder Sign effect is uh, plus one. You may instead choose to automatically fail the skill test to heal one damage and one horror. Mm, okay. So she's all about failure. She's not got a stat that's particularly exciting. Maybe that four agility. And even if she fails a test in Mythos, that that gives her a four action turn that turn. Yes. Kind of cool. We've said for a long time that survivors lean into failure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But here's a concrete example of how that that works, how that looks on an investigator. She fails, she gets an extra action. And as we know from a lot of other survivor cards, like, look what I found, oops... Uh, live and learn failure for for survivors doesn't necessarily mean failure 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've mentioned rabbit's foot already. And very often I've seen people playing with rabbit's foot where they'll take an investigate, not being particularly sure that they're going to get a clue, but knowing that they'll at least get a card out of it. So they may as well try. And then if they fail to get the clue, they at least get a card. So they've sort of ended up action neutral, as it were. But Stella takes that a step further and says, oh, and you get another action as well. So you've got a card. Maybe you've played a look, look what I found and got a couple of clues. And the action is given back to you as well, which is crazy good. Yeah. I'll note this also applies to the mythos phase. So she, if she fails a, a skill test in the mythos phase, she then mm-hmm. gets a four action turn. Yeah. So the card I've chosen fits really nicely with that. It's a one cost event, has a wild icon. It's grit your teeth. It's spirit traded. It says fast, play after you fail a skill test. You get plus one to each of your skills for the remainder of the round. And part of the reason I chose that is if you fail that test in Mythos, her stat line is then four, three, four, five for a four action turn. And that starts to feel really good. Yeah. Obviously, this card, you ideally want to fail a test early in the turn or in Mythos to get the most out of it. But I just thought it was a really nice illustration of more failure tech for Survivor. And, you know, I could see this card being kind of useful in Calvin as well. If you're going to throw a test in Mythos, you then get a plus one boost to all of your stats for the rest of your turn. So, yeah, yeah, I just chose that as a kind of nice illustration of how failure can work for Survivors. Yeah, it's like a a mini um, trial by fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like the idea of your failure having a kind of lasting impact on the turn as well. That feels like like trial by fire that kind of goes on for for longer. It's also like sort of chopping up a lucky and passing the lucky on to all yeah. your other tests, which is sort of nice. Or you could even, you know, you, you tank that first test using your drawing thin and uh, a take heart. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of your turn is, is better as a result. And you've gained four resources and two cards out of it. Mm-hmm. And plus one to all your stats, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's really nice. It's pretty good. Thank you. What have you chosen? Well, there was a couple of assets. There was a, there was a, was it a 21 gun? I thought it was the 19. 19, yeah. Yeah. And then the old keyring. And the old keyring is the one I went for. And these are both sort of typical assets that they have. They come into play with uses on them. Mm-hmm. And then you use those uses to, to investigate at a discount or fight with the bonus. But the twist is they don't lose the token unless you succeed effectively. Yeah. So the old keyring is, it's the one I want to look at, the old keyring. It is a one cost asset. It has an intellect icon and it has the item and tool traits. Hmm. And it says uses two keys. If there are no keys on old keyring, discard it. Action, yeah. investigate. Your location gets minus two shroud for this investigation. If you succeed, remove one key from old keyring. And it uses a hand slot. Mm. So it feels a little bit, obviously, like flashlight. It that does. minus two shroud. Yes. But if you're dropping the shroud to zero, you're almost definitely passing. So you lose the key, which would be the same as in flashlight. You'd lose the charge. But if you're dropping the shroud and then failing... You don't lose the key, which is kind of helpful if you're doing other things with failure. Yes. Yeah. It it, it feels more like a... It's almost like a newspaper mm-hmm. in that... I mean, it's cheaper than, than Flashlight. So, it, yeah. you know, if, if we do a direct comparison to Flashlight, it's cheaper, but it has one fewer charge than a Flashlight. 
Yeah. It also discards itself, unlike Flashlight, right? Yeah. Which can make a difference, say, in Yorick or in a, in a scavenging build. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even then, I think all it, it almost compares to Newspaper, because what Newspaper does is it gives you an intellect bonus while you have no clues. Mm-hmm. This gives you an intellect bonus until you've picked up two clues, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I, I follow, yeah. And you can control the boost a little bit more with this, I suppose, in yeah. a way that once you have a clue, its newspaper is off. Absolutely. That feels like there's a bit of a tension as well. It's it's making tests easier for you, but you don't necessarily want to succeed. And I think where this really comes into its own is if you want to fail by two against high shroud locations. Because in those instances, I've sometimes seen survivors actually commit cards not so that they get over the threshold, but just so that they get close enough to the threshold that when they draw a negative modifier from the bag, they're still close enough to being within two to play Look What I Found. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. This then brings a lot more locations into that range. If a four-shroud location has become a two-shroud location, Stella investigates two on two, she probably fails, and that way you keep the key charge and you maybe get clues from Look What I Found. Yeah. I wonder if we'll see, as events for Stella, a suite of events that play off failing, investigate, fight, and evade. A little bit like Dumb Luck, Oops, and Look What I Found. Or maybe those will be cards that get reprinted in her deck. Yes, I, I, uh, they must do. Surely Look What I Found is uh, reprinted in Stella. Yeah, unless there's a different a different kind, you know, those three yeah. cards but redone. There's a sort of... Uh, Lucky Discovery or whatever it'll be called that will cost different, maybe with different icons and be all about failure. So I, the other thing with Earl Keyring, it's it's a it's a kind of a more minor combo, but I, it still works with Lola, like Flashlight does. Lola Santiago, this is not Lola Hayes. Okay, yeah, I was like, well, how does it work? Yeah, so you can drop the shroud, buy a clue, buy a clue, at a discount, yeah, and then maybe still fail, especially in Preston. In Preston, yeah, that's very nice. So, you know, just drop the shroud from three to one, buy a clue of Lola, and then take the test. Maybe you succeed, yeah. maybe you don't. If you don't, you've still got the, 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 the keys on it. Yeah, that's very nice. That's very nice. I immediately went to Finn with that and was thinking, yeah, but you're investigating at five at that point. <laughs> <so."> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a lot to like about it. Yeah, I think so And too. I can, the other thing, a very small thing, but I can see someone actually getting some old keys out of a drawer. And using them as tokens on the old keyring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sort of fiddling around uh, on the card to make sure they've got the keys. Yeah. Let's touch on that point uh, eighteen Derringer as well. Because just the small thing I wanted to mention is that it gives you plus two combat and you deal plus one damage. Yeah. Which is is pretty decent. Like, again, we've seen before with baseball bat, with the shovel... Uh, with fire axe, like really generous combat boosts for survivors when they when they start fighting, they bring the bring the hurt. Pretty nice for the derringer. It works in the inverse that if you fail, you get ammo. So there's a weird situation where you want to fail some shots to keep the ammo topped up on the derringer. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. not quite got my head around the flow of it yet, but I look forward to exploring that. Okay. Cool. Well, that's an overview of the five investigators and hopefully gives us a sense of some of what they're bringing to the table. My overall feeling is one of excitement about all of these investigators. What about for you? Exactly the same position. Can't wait to get my hands on some of them. If I was going to pick 
favourites, Stella and Jacqueline are probably up there mm-hmm. um, in terms of giving me some cool toys to play with. Uh, probably yeah. Jacqueline is the investigator I'm most looking forward to. Although mm-hmm. Some of those survivor cards look really tasty. And I think there's probably an absolutely crazy Stella build where yeah. you're doing all sorts of stuff. Like the survivor bullshit, really. Tokens yeah. being pulled at different points and, oh no, I've uh, I've succeeded. That means I don't get yeah. clues. But luckily I can play this card, which makes me fail. <laughs> yeah. You've um, you've seen Hot Fuzz, haven't you? Yes. I'm thinking of this scene when um, Nick Frost tries to vault all the fences. <laughs> yeah. And ends up just running through them, but still still gets there in the end. That's sort of what Survivor magic feels like to me. It's Everyone else is working really hard to be athletic, and the Survivor is just charging headlong through the perils of the mythos. Absolutely, yeah. What's the impact, would you say, on the game at large with having an influx of five new investigators and new player cards in this new format? Well, good question. Any any introduction of new cards will have a period of flux as people work out where they fit, and that period is likely to be bigger and longer uh, while we adjust to the new cards. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. expect to see lots of new decks over the next few months and people investigating how these cards work in established investigators as well. Mm. Yeah, there's two separate things going on, aren't there? There'll be people test driving these five investigators and getting their heads around them. But then there'll be other investigators coming back into prominence because people want to take the new cards and put them into the new decks. Yes. The the other possibility here is that we see new players coming into the game, that these decks might be the way in for an influx of new players if it works as FFG Hope, and people take this as their starting point, which could be really fascinating. A lot of what we've said has been based off comparing cards to things we already know. We've name-checked a lot more old cards than we have new during this episode, so it would be really interesting to see if this is the way in for people. And, you know, someone might look at uh, Shriveling and say, well, I don't know, I think Azure Flame is a lot better than that, and we'll have to kind of keep on our toes about all of the... I guess the the database of knowledge we have about the game and how people might enter the game without building up that same experience. Yeah. Do you see any major changes for the factions based off what we've seen so far? No, as I said at the beginning, I think a lot of these cards play into the key strengths of their factions. So so Nate is using fight events. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's potentially the outlier because there's maybe not that many cards I see going into him that, you know, he doesn't want weapons as such. He wants to use fight events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, Winnie likes rogue skill cards because she wants to succeed by two. Harvey wants to draw cards. You know, there's a lot of support there already. Mm-hmm. Jacqueline wants to do the, the, the chaos bag trickery that we've talked about in past episodes. Mm-hmm. Stella is pure survivor, really. Yeah. So I think none of them... It's not that they they don't shake things up. It's just that they're an influx of core cards. So they're a good thing for someone to get early on to flesh out their collection. Yeah, agreed. And they work with the existing kind of core cards we've got in in other expansions. Yes. We heard mention on the announcement video that 
there were enough XP cards that you could build the deck in slightly different ways as you go through a campaign. Okay. And it, we've not seen enough to know what that's like, but it'd be really interesting to learn about, you know, is there a new higher level succeed by two option out there that Winnie's providing? I think that would be really intriguing to follow as well. Or likewise, is there like a high XP token manipulation thing that Jacqueline can do? And what would that look like? We don't yet know. Yeah, I'd agree. I just had a, a random thought as well that maybe Tommy likes some of the fight events because Tommy has Becky. And maybe you'd run Tommy with few other weapons because you're desperate to put Becky into play, at which point you want other ways of doing damage while you wait for Becky. Just an idle thought. Great. I have no idea when these come out. No, me That's either. <laughs> a big question mark around it. But hopefully we'll see another article about them or something along those lines and that you know, the, the drip feed of cards will keep us going. Anything else or shall I sign off? Let's sign off, yeah. We'd love to know what you think about these cards as well, listener. You can reach us at drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Twitter, Facebook, Designed by Humans, and Patreon. Shout out to all our patrons. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U N I T L E D. I'm on uh, Discord and Twitter and sometimes on Reddit. I'm also on Instagram as the.unitled. How about you, Frank? I'm FB or FEB or Zooey Glass or Zozo, and I'm around the place doing various bits and pieces. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. As April advanced... Ray Taylor's fever-sharpened ears were disturbed by the whining prayers of a superstitious loom-fixer named Rick Westbrook, who had a room on the ground floor. Westbrook had told long, rambling stories about the ghost of old Keziah and the furry, sharp-fanged, nuzzling thing. Possibly Alexander Kentorp ought not to have studied so hard. Non-Euclidean calculus and quantum physics are enough to stretch any brain, and when one mixes them with folklore and tries to trace a strange background of multidimensional reality behind the ghoulish hints of the gothic tales and the wild whispers of the chimney corner, one can hardly expect to be wholly free from mental tension. You know what uh, Richard Fenniman said about uh, non-Euclidean calculus? If you think you understand non-Euclidean calculus, you don't understand non-Euclidean calculus. (laughs) Really? He did, yeah. Direct quote.